Well, good morning and welcome everybody again to Encounter. This is the last Sunday in November, which means it's the last Sunday in uh, Doing Good Month. All month long, we're partnering with this fantastic organization called Family Promise of Grand Rapids. And, uh, and the mission of this awesome organization is to end homelessness in Grand Rapids one family at a time. So I kicked this off a couple of weeks ago. Remember that? Like the cheesy graphic for one time, one low, low gift of $29.95. You too can help a, a family of four and provide for them a transitional housing for one night, $29.95. It just speaks for the efficiency of this awesome organization. And it's not too late to partner. You can go to encounterchurch.org slash doing good slash doing good uh, to, to make a gift. But listen, just an update on where we are so far. Uh, so far, over 300 individual items have come into Fulton Heights and Kentwood. Pillows, um, cleaning supplies. We've got food stores in there as well. Um, individual items as well as financial gifts. And that was the, the huge partnership because they can stretch that. They can use that all year long of those gifts. Twenty nine ninety five, of course, move the decimal point as you've been blessed. And I just, I want to say, God's faithfulness has swelled up through your generosity uh, to, the, to the tune of us being able to give them a gift so far of the amount of $24,609. And to do the math on that, 821 nights provided for a family of four who needs it. If you're one of those families and if you're in that season, that gift is a lifeline in the name of Jesus. And I love it. Transition <laughs> to our series that we're in right now uh, called No Flaw Too Far. It's a, it's a series that we're doing on the story of Samson in the book of Judges. A uh, big, big overall question this morning is we're going to ask and, uh, and attempt an answer together is, is what do you do? What do you do when your body wants what your brain knows is wrong? And I ask the question, like, what do you do when your body wants what your brain knows is wrong? And, and I'm aware that this is a time that we're coming off from Thanksgiving. So it should be a little easier. I'm not like putting you on the spot. I'll put me on the spot, right? Because Thanksgiving, I got a plan. We come in with this every year. I know Thanksgiving isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. And at the end goal of that marathon is a dessert. In some cases, it's pecan pie with chocolate in the bottom. That was new to me this year, you guys. Life-changing power of chocolate. (laughs) And every year I've got a plan. You know, you come in with it and it's like, don't go for seconds, stay away from thirds, drink plenty of water, wear stretchy clothes. No more stuffing. Why do they call it stuffing? I know why they call it stuffing. Like, like we get it. And every year, like, like dessert time rolls around. I'm like, I did it again, didn't I? You know, like what, what my body wants is that dessert. My brain is like, dude, you messed this thing up for like the... 38th year running, you know? On a serious note, what do you do? What do you do when your body wants what your brain knows is wrong? Every morning you get up, we get up, and it's like, okay, I got plenty of time. I got, I got 50 minutes to get myself dressed, showered, lunch packed, and in the car. Like, I got this. I can do this. My brain says we got plenty of time. My body says we got one, we got a little time for some for some Instagram. We got a little time for another reel. We got another time for, uh, for, uh, for a meme. 
50 minutes dwindles down to 30 minutes. My body says, I'm not done yet. It dwindles down to 15 minutes to shower, get ready, get dressed, get to lunch, get in the car, get on the road. Now, I'm a meme barreling down the highway at 8.15 trying to make it to work by 8. Like, we can do this. (laughs) Procrastination. What do you do when your body wants what your brain knows is wrong? Specifically, you guys, this morning, what we're going to talk about isn't just what our brain knows is wrong because sometimes, sometimes it's more difficult than that. And we're going to go to some honest spaces this morning. Sometimes it's more difficult than, than simply what our, our brain knows is wrong because when the thing that you want isn't a thing, but it's a who. It's a person. It's a person that you kind of have butterflies in your stomach over. It's a person that is really cute and he makes you laugh and there's kind of a little bit of danger skepticism there, you know. And so, but it just makes it that more... A little bit that much more exciting. But at the same time, when you spend like too much time together, like you don't feel good about yourself and how you spent that time. And you walk away and going, is this normal for a relationship? Is this, is this what this is supposed to be like? I, I kind of feel like I'm walking on eggshells. Is it my responsibility to control his temper? Is this what a toxic relationship looks like? I don't know. I haven't had that many. It's not when your brain knows it's wrong. What do you do when your body wants what your heart deep down somewhere knows he's wrong. We're continuing on the, the series. It's, it's part three of Samson. So far in the series, we've, uh, we've done It's Me, I'm the Problem, Antihero. Last week, oops, I did it again. This week, hey there, Delilah. You can kind of tell where this one is going. The Samson story, you guys, I love it. It's like one of the reasons why I think that the Bible is, in fact, the inspired, infallible word of God that's true is because you can't possibly make these stories up, right? They're just recorded because they did happen. We heard last week, Samson, he rips apart a lion, quote, as you would a young goat. I have so many more questions about what you do with your young goats. (laughs) We're not going to go there, though. We're like, uh, continuing on. Uh, Samson, he He's driving the wedge, remember, between the Israelites and the Philistines, really between God's people and God's people's sin. He's driving this wedge in between them. And so he's starting these fights. He captures 300 foxes, foxi, fox, 300 of these animals. He captures, he ties their tails together. He goes into a Philistine wheat field, lights them on fire, sets them free. He burns, Samson was here in the fields. This is like this larger-than-life kind of, larger-than-life kind of guy. Samson, in the story, immediately preceding this one, he picks up the jawbone of a donkey. Nazarite vow, he's not supposed to touch dead things, but nevertheless, he picks up the jawbone of a donkey, swings it around. He slays 1,000 Philistine men. Afterward, the text tells us, jawbone still in hand, he composes a song about the event. Your assignment in your groups after the message is to decide the genre of the song that he wrote. I've got some opinions, but it's time for another matter. Samson. And then we get to Judges 16. And then we get to that question, what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows at some level is wrong? Let's kick it off in verse 4. We read that sometime later, Samson, oh, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek. That's in Philistine territory, whose name was 
Hey there, Delilah. Pro tip on Bible reading. When you go through the Bible and you're reading and there's like story after story, event after event after event, and you get very little. Like, I want to know more about that Fox thing. I want to know more about like the, the song, the genre, the lyrics. Like, give me more. And the authors of the Bible like kind of just move steadily, marching right through it. But then they come to a story where everything stops. It's like time freezes and the story slows way down and extended. That's like the biblical version of a highlighter. That's like God saying, this story is important. Like warning lights, pay attention to what's happening with Delilah. Some of you grew up in church and you're like, I know where this thing is going and it's not a pretty place. Others of you, by the end of the story, you're gonna find out that that's where that story came from, Delilah, and you're like, that's in the Bible. That's an awful story. That's a nasty story. I can't. Some of us, most of us, are going to be tempted at some point to say nobody, or no, to say how could anybody be that stupid? All of us, I think, are in this story, like looking at this, man, is it possible that you can be so, so charged sexually that you can go from one terrible, life-defining decision after another? Man, is that possible? Yes, front row gets it. Come on now. Let's share a story or? (laughs) I want to share like, a perspective thing maybe on this one because sometimes we look at a story and we're going, it's so extravagant, it's so wild, it's so out there. It's, it's not ordinary, it's extraordinary and that's, and that's why it's in the Bible. And maybe it's just a perspective thing of mine but, you know, not only have I been in ministry for a little while, I've also, uh, I've also been a, a child of, of two working parents who had, as I realized later in adulthood, very interesting jobs. My mom taught in a lockup facility for almost 30 years, and my dad worked as a probation parole officer for 30 years. It's just highlighting, like, and we had some interesting family conversations around the dinner table. <laughs> Sometimes we say things around here like, you know, sin has a gotcha, and God doesn't want it to get you. So in my family, like, having these stories exchanged around the dinner table, the, the gotchas had a story had a name. The gotchas were a person. In some cases, my parents had me write letters to the stories and the names and the gotchas. Like, drive this thing home. And now being in ministry for a few years, coming up on 13, I know some of the stories. Some people here, passing through here. I'm not going to, like, share out some, some of the stories, but I I, I just I want to look at this story that we're about to enter into, the, the Samson and Delilah story, and say, you know, maybe it's not all that extraordinary. In fact, the longer that I live and the more stories that I hear, I start to believe that this story isn't exactly extraordinary. So the longer I live, the more ministry that I do and the stories that I hear, the more actually ordinary the story becomes. Like, like all of us, on some level, like we've got, a little bit of impulse control syndrome. We've all got a little bit of Samson somewhere inside of us. If you've been at Thanksgiving and you've asked that question, what do you do when your body wants what your brain, or in this case your heart, knows is wrong? If there's any amount of tension inside of you, listen, this story is for you and you're not quite that far off. Samson meets a a woman he's been with 
A lot of women by this time in the story, but this time, this time love is involved. So you know everything is different and it's going to go totally differently. So we see in verse 5, we see in verse 5 that the, the rulers of the Philistines went out, went out to, to her, to Delilah, and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. And I just love that word, lure. We're not going to spend any time on that because I'm not a fisherman, but like I kind of know what a lure is. A lure is something that looks like something else with hooks on it. I want you to keep that visual in your mind every time we ask that question. What do you do? Uh, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we might tie him up, subdue him. And each of of us, each of the rulers are going to give you 1,100 shekels of silver. I'm trying to calculate a little bit of how how much that is, 1,100 shekels of silver by weight, you know, and commodity exchange in present day. And we're trying to like, figure some of this noise out, <clears throat> buying power back then versus buying power today. And I think it's like around $90,000 today, but <clears throat> if you Google that later, I am absolutely not going to stand behind that number because it's really difficult to calculate inflation over 2,300 years. But we do know each one of the rulers are presenting this, so we can just, we can say it's a lot of money. The, the Philistine rulers are presenting Delilah with, with, with her character, yeah, a lot of money to do something pretty nasty to sell out Samson, somebody that she probably just met, but now she's head over heels. It's probably not love. It's probably lust. It's probably infatuation, and, and, and money can change that fairly quickly, as we can find out. But she knows something about Samson. His reputation precedes him, church, because he's a clever guy. We heard about that last week. Remember the riddle? Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. It's clever, can't remember what that is, I am going to make you look that up and watch it online or at least read your Bible to find out what that thing was. He's a clever guy. And she's going to need a clever solution. Like, how does she get, how does she pull this secret out from him? She's going to need an elaborate plan. This is, this is like a battle of the mind. This is a war of the wits. She's got to like figure some way out to like, like tease this out of him somehow. And so she comes up with this super interesting, super clever plan. Here it is in verse 6. Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. <laughs> Delilah's not the kind of woman where you wonder where she wants to eat on a date night. Gonna get in trouble for that. Just direct. She's direct. She's right to the point. Right to the point. And you're going, how could any man be so foolish? This isn't like biblical scholars. This isn't what I found in deep research this week. This is just this is Dirk's thoughts. But I don't I don't think this conversation happened over coffee and scones in the morning. Now, I think I think this conversation took place at night. Late night, a passionate night, and I think alcohol was a factor. But she asked the question, and Samson, verse 7, answers her. If anyone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become, keep this in mind, as weak as any other man. And part of it is like, dude, why would you even mess with that? Like, he makes up bowstrings. Like, he, I don't know if he just, like, sees it in the corner, and he's like, lamp, bowstrings. Like, we're going to go for that thing, you know? Say something that's not the thing. Okay, it's, it's right there. But why would, you, why would you even go there? Why would you mess with that? Why would you walk along that border territory? Come on, man. 
Have you not learned your lesson by this point in the story? Have any of us learned our lessons by this point in the story? And I just want to highlight something because she's trying to tease out, she's trying to pull out the secret of his great strength. The secret, I think, is a a secret, and there's some debate among uh, biblical scholars and, and people who write commentaries, like, when you imagine Samson, like, what kind of guy do you imagine? Like at least a big like Samson, right? Like this big dude. You don't picture me. You picture like like bodybuilder. You picture you picture like the dude who's gonna back squat a VW Bug, right? Like he's gonna. But the problem with that, and it's just like this is my argument. The problem with that is you see a dude whose neck is bigger than my waist, and he's like squatting a car, and nobody looks at that. I don't look at that and go, man, I wonder what the secret to his great strength is. I'm like, I know what the secret to his great, it's a lot of time in the gym and a little steroids. Like, I know what the secret is to this thing. You know, but if you see a picture of me or a video of me, like, squatting a Volkswagen, you're like, that guy learned how to use Photoshop. Like, I get it. <laughs> you know, I, want, I think Samson was a little dude. And they're like, there must be some kind of secret that we're all, we're all wondering about. But it's really beside the point. So we're going to move on. Verse 8. The rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh no strings, that had never been tried. And nice, she tied him with them. Verse 9, with men hidden in the room. It's a little, it's a little weird, right? <laughs> Before you laugh too hard, how many of you guys sleep with your phones much closer than in a closet across the room? Isn't that a lot more people, a lot more intimate? Anyway, it doesn't matter. She called to him and she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstring as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. In Hebrew, it rhymes. It's very beautiful. It's a saying. So the secret of his great strength was not revealed. Thank goodness. He learns his lesson. He wisens up. He breaks up with Delilah. He moves back across the border to Israel. He becomes the judge that God called him to be. No, of course not. Verse 10, Samson, Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You've lied to me. Come now, tell me. How can you be tied? He goes, okay, you know, made up the bowstrings. It was just the first thing that I saw, but rope, new rope is going to be the thing. If you tie me up with new rope, I lose all my strength. That's my secret. They're passionate night. There's some alcohol involved. He falls asleep or passes out, whatever it is. He wakes up. Samson, Samson, the Philistines jump out of the closet, and he's all tied up, and he snaps the new rope, just like the bowstring, just like the strings next to the fire. You know, everything. He throws over the Philistines. He goes out, he beats them. The story repeats itself. Delilah, verse 13, said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me, lying. Tell me, how can you... Be tied, and he sees the last thing in the room, and he's like, it's a loom, you know, you got to weave, weave my hair together. And at this point, you know, he's, he's starting to come a little, like, dangerously close to the thing, because now the Nazarite vow is, is coming a little bit closer. The hair is starting to get involved. If you weave my hair together, and some of you are like, dude, this is very dangerous territory for you. Like, you, you know the rules to play here. How could you be that foolish? And some guys are like, ah, you know, if you heard my story. The men jump out. You know, he breaks open the loom again because that wasn't the thing, even though his hair was braided up into the, you know, and he throws the Philistine man. He's free, verse 15. And then she said to him, how can you say, I love you? She brings love into it. When you won't confide in me. This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great 
strength in the next line before we put it on the screen. I just want you to know, it's in the Bible. This is not like Dirk's words. These are Jesus. This is the words in the Bible, verse 16. With such nagging, I don't know who underlined that. Get right on it. She prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And so he told her everything. Now before we go on, I'm going to sound a little like an old man. I'm going to sound a little bit maybe like your dad. And I want to do this with compassion, and I want to do this from a, from a space of love. But, but ladies, I want you to be aware of the great power that you have. And I want you to know that it's possible. It's even effective to use your body and to use sexuality to get whatever it is that you want. I don't own that. And it's very much how the world works. Very little has changed in 2,300 years. But I also want you to know that I've been around at least long enough to realize that when you use your body to get what you want, you start to believe the lie that your body is the only thing that you have to offer. And when a tool is that effective, it becomes the tool that you use on everything. And you become the victim. It's effective. Just want to encourage you to resist that particular temptation. Samson replies with everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. It's the truth. Because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. Dedicated to God. She didn't even know that. (laughs) The way he's been living his life, it was so concealed, it was so hidden. He shouldn't have even been here. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as, and we see the line again, every other man. I become just another guy. Become like everybody else. And so that night he has another passionate evening. He falls asleep or passes out, one of the two. Doesn't matter. She gets out the razor. She's dreaming about what she's going to do with all that money not knowing that we're going to be talking bad about her 2,300 years later, but that's beside the point. And she, she shaves his head, and he comes to the next morning when she cries out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he's like, I've seen this show before. And he stands up, and, he, and his strength was gone. Left him. I don't know if God left him or if God just kind of had enough with him. And thought, if you want to see what's on the other end of that question so badly, I'll let you answer it. In verse 21, the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes. They took him down to Gaza. That's the capital of Philistia and the center of it all. They bound him up with bronze shackles, the good ones, just in case. And they set him to grinding grain in the prison. And maybe it's because I've seen too many movies. I don't know. But uh, 
I just kind of imagine that the last thing that Samson saw was Delilah. And I kind of imagine that the last thing Samson thought was, how did I not see this coming? Yeah. You know, as we reflect on this story together as a community and think about what it means for our lives, I, I want so badly for us to know on a very deep level that Samson is at its core a story about how one man used his own freedom to abuse God's good gift and became a prisoner of the people that he sought, whose lives and lifestyles he sought to emulate. It's a lot there, so I want to say it again and just kind of reflect for us together as a community. Remember, keeping in mind that this is recorded in the Bible and it's been preached on countless times over 2,300 years and copied and recopied and told and retold because it's a story that didn't just happen, because it's a story that continues to happen and continues to play out in our lives, in our communities, and in here, our churches. That this is a man who uses his freedom. He can do what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants to abuse the very, very good gift that God gave him, his expression of his own sexuality and becoming a prisoner of the very people whose lives and lifestyles he sought to copy. And for us as a community, we can look at like the things that we do and the choices that we can make and be like, man, I want to be just like every other man. I want to be able to do the other things that every other woman gets to do. Why should God hold this back from me? Why is God holding out on me? And we get no further than the story of Samson. Without his eyes and only his memories, how could I have not seen this coming? Why did I try so badly to copy the lives and the lifestyle of the people everywhere around me when I know how that particular story ends? And now he's the prisoner in literal or potentially for us metaphorical shackles left with the consequences of our own decisions. And so what follows is, is some advice couple of pieces of advice on toxic relationship. What do you do when your body so badly wants what your heart knows on some level is wrong? And this is equal parts. This is biblical wisdom. This is your stories reflected back to you. And this very honestly is what I tell my own kids. The three things to look for, three questions to ask as you're entering into a dating relationship, three questions to ask if you're married and you wake up married every single day and you need some reasons, why am I hanging on? Three questions. Uh, first one, why are you dating? Why are you married? And guys, it's so easy to mess this one up. It's so easy to go shallow on this one, right? I get the pleasure and the privilege of uh, officiating a, a ton of weddings every year and I love it and it's my honor. But every time I ask that question, no, why, really? Right? And, and to, to go deeper than he makes me laugh, She's really cute, you know, it's funny. No, 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 really, why? Let's do better. If not for ourselves, as followers of Jesus, why? What's the thing behind it that's going to make us not like every other man, not like every other woman? Here's my answer, and I would love for you to borrow this one. Because there is a date on the calendar that we don't have it that God does on his calendar, a divine appointment when we're going to go and we're going to meet God someday. 
Scripture teaches us that we're going to go and we're going to give an account of the most precious resource that was ever entrusted to us. It was our lives. And we made choices all during our lives. And God tells us that at some point we're going to go before him. We're going to try to explain why we did the things that we did with the lives that we were given. I don't know about you, but I want to go into that meeting prepared. I would like very much not to wing it when I get there. I have a lifetime to prepare in a community with whom to prepare for that divine appointment. There is one person that I have invited into my life who is going to know me, joys and failures, triumphs and setbacks, better than any other person on this planet. She is going to see what belongs. She is going to see, better yet, maybe what doesn't belong. If my life is a garden, there are weeds and watering that needs to be done. And my wife is going to be the one to come into my life and to identify the weeds that need to be pulled And the water and the resource of water and the characteristics, the trait, the fruit that needs to continue to grow up inside of me. That's why I chose her. Because she's going to help me get ready to meet God someday. Also, she's cute and very funny. (laughs) Second thing is to fight well. Do you fight well? Not like physically. Please not like physically. That's a big red flag. But the second thing, do you... Do you argue well? Resolve conflict well? You guys can Google uh, the research of John Gottman. I love this stuff. He just watches couples as they argue for about a half an hour and, uh, and, just, and just looks for these, these terrible, these awful traits. Very dramatically named as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I hope you Google it later, but I'll just tell you that in a world where 50% of marriages end in divorce, Gottman is able with 30 minutes of watching a couple argue to predict whether or not they're still together in 10 years with over 92% accuracy. He gets the coin flip right 92% of the time. And the things he looks for is criticism, name-calling, uh, expressions of contempt, rolling your eyes. Really, you don't mean anything to me. He looks for defensiveness. Oh, no. Yeah, I only did this because you did that. You're the type of person who he looks for stonewalling, physically leaving, emotionally leaving, checking out. Four horsemen. When you argue, is there some kind of like resolution towards the end or are you just trying to hurt each other? Why are you dating? Find somebody with whom you can fight well. And, and just some red flags, like a lightning round of red flags that you're looking for. A, f- a first uh, red flag that you're looking missionary dating, sometimes it's called. It's old-fashioned. I recognize that. But just this recognition that, man, Christians should find somebody with, with somebody that they're also like looking for Jesus, right? And I, and I get that that doesn't always happen, and I still, yeah, want you to stay married, right? But just like the wisdom in starting off is, is that there's an end point at the end of the line, and, and following Jesus, it isn't like being a lawyer or a plumber or being a, a parent of two or maybe three kids or getting a dog. Being a Christian isn't something you do, it's who you are, and you're pursuing this, this pursuit to the very, very end of the line. And when those two are in different positions, man, it starts off and it feels very much the same, but by the end of that trajectory, you can feel sometimes, right, like, you're in very different places. First thing, missionary day. The, the second thing is the lack of commitment. You know, the try it before you buy it kind of attitude. And it works great with used cars, far less well with people involved. You know, if there's a kind of expressions like, we should try this out, we should move in together, we should see if we're physically compatible. You're physically compatible. I mean, it's like biology. God has been perfecting this over a very long period of time. Just... <laughs> Trust him on this, right? Marriage is a piece of paper. Red flags and this lack, lack of commitment. 
kind of attitude, kind of culture. And the last one is this question that was asked of me. And I just, I love it. It was my wife's mentor. We're hanging out with them as a couple. And he's got kids that are almost as old as I am. So I'm like, what, what advice do you have for me, you know, of raising kids? And he goes, hey, my daughter, you know, she'd come home and she'd be head over heels over this boy, right? Said, oh, I love him. I love him. I love him, dad. And he goes, okay. What do you love about him? And I lo- That's a, such a good question, isn't it? What do you love about him? Because if you love him, love him, love him, and then when you ask, what do you love about him? And if the answer is very, very short, you might love the idea of somebody, but you don't actually love that somebody. If there's not much that you love about him, it's possible that you're better off without him. The thing, the reason why we share all this, we share this in the context of Samson and Delilah's stories, toxic relationships, and sparing you from the hardship that Samson experienced. And the importance of the whole thing is that it's just that God has so very much in store for you. Is that you have no idea not only what God wants to do with your life, but you have no idea what God wants to do through the next generation that's coming out of your life. And we get this attitude like Samson, like, man, why can't we be like every other person? Emulating the lives and the lifestyle and I hope that you can see that it's a prison with shackles involved at the end of the day. But also we can make it a vertical thing and say, God, why are you holding out on me? God isn't trying to keep you from something good. He's trying to keep something good for you. God isn't trying to keep you from someone good. Trying to keep you good for someone. But we've gotten it wrong. We said in the early part of this series that we don't read Samson because he's a hero. Part three of the series, I hope we can all see that now. He's not a hero. We read Samson because he's a disaster. A lot like all of us. And at some point, he gets a break from grinding grain in the bottom of a prison, invited up to a party where the Philistine kings and conquerors show off their greatest conquest, the mighty Samson right over here. And he has to be put through next to these two pillars that the whole temple is resting on, get his bearings. And we read verse 22, the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's a sign of hope. It's still a disaster story, but God didn't leave. We answered that question. God is still present. He didn't give up. He never gives up. We see in the story a call back to part one of our series together for you. Maybe you've been in a bad relationship. Maybe it was toxic. Maybe it was abusive. Maybe it was awful. Maybe you had no reason to be there, but you stayed for who knows why and for who knows how long. And before you go home kicking yourself, beating yourself up one more time for, man, getting it wrong, I want you to know that it's a redemption story. His hair began to grow back. 
the callback from part one is that God is still holding on to you far tighter than you could ever hold on to him. He's got you. Just as an image and as a picture of that, um, maybe a month or two ago now, I was, uh, I was looking for a new, a new pair of glasses. <clears throat> Some of you noticed that I got new glasses. Thank you for noticing. Compliments received and appreciated. And I came across this pair. And in the, the model number, you can ask me about it afterwards, the model uh, name is the, the Samson. <laughs> In case you're wondering where we get these sermon series from. <laughs> and I thought, like, have they read the Bible? Like, why would you name? And then I thought about it more, and I thought, no, I got to have them. <laughs> because every time I put on my glasses, I got to be reminded I'm Samson. I made mistakes. Guys, you're Samson. You've made mistakes. You're the disaster just like me. And I'm also reminded that God is holding on to me far tighter than I could ever hold on to him. Would you stand up and let's pray together? Jesus, you've got us in the palm of your hand and no one will snatch you out, God. Sometimes it's us and sometimes we're kicking and screaming and we're trying to free, my, free ourselves from your loving and your benevolent care. But God, you've got us. Thank you for the story of Samson. Thank you for what it teaches us. How about what to avoid? About how to go about our lives? For holding on to Samson like you're holding on to all of us. God, I pray for somebody right now who doesn't know what to do body has been saying one thing, their mind, their heart has been saying something else for a while, but it's not as easy as a 30-minute message, Lord. We recognize that. There's lives involved. There's people involved. Man, it's messy. We need your wisdom, and we need your courage. God, your word in James, it tells us that if any of us lacks wisdom, just ask, and you, God, will provide it. So that's what we're doing right now. We're asking our path forward, each of us, uniquely. And we're asking, Lord, also for your courage to go to some difficult places and to have some tough conversations, Lord, and to chase and to pursue you at the end of it all. Jesus, it is your name resurrected that we pray. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.